I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcasts is supported by Infratech. Bring indoor comfort to outdoor living with Infratech Comfort Heaters. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Good morning. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Oh, Jason, we are having some technical difficulties today. <laughs> I don't know about we. <laughs> we as in me. Uh, this has been just a train wreck here. Um, but we're going to push through and figure this out. Uh, so today... And uh, this week, actually, we're going to talk some policy. Uh, we did what well, we SB9 a couple of weeks ago, but I want to get into the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill. Huh? So these were originally one bill. And then at some point in conversations and negotiations, it was broken up uh, into two separate things. So this one, the infrastructure bill that we're going to talk about today has more of the infrastructure component and then we'll jump into the build back better bill in our next episode which directly connects to to us in the housing uh housing industry um, a little bit more than this part but this does get into all of the building industry in general Um, but before that gotta give a nod to our sponsor In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature, and Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient, ambient warmth 
that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of the unparalleled versatility, from heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heating company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratec has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. Infratec is specified at the world's most prestigious properties. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcasts. And one thing to highlight uh, with Infratech is they are one of the only outdoor heating systems that can be fully integrated with automation and smart home control, like uh, Alexa and Google, if you're willing to have them listen to you all the time, <laughs> listen to your conversations. And they're just tapping at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'm sure that, I mean, they are listening to us on our phones. Oh, so totally. <laughs> but you could connect your heater to turn on through Google and Alexa, which is pretty cool. Okay. Now, uh, back to the conversation today. So we're going to dig into the infrastructure bill, as I mentioned. So this was a $1.2 trillion bill, I believe, dedicated to infrastructure in the United States. How, how familiar are you with it, Jason? Not super familiar. Only, okay. only the bad parts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, interesting. I did look up some of the opposition to the bill, and it's very generic and flighty, in my opinion. It does look like political spin to just oppose the other side. But we'll jump on that um, towards the end. just want to get through some of these major points of it. So as I mentioned, it's geared mostly towards the infrastructure. Uh, so the first item on the list is uh, delivering clean water. We did an episode on water and our water systems in the United States, particularly the problems that they're facing in Michigan. So this is to combat things like that and upgrading service lines that were previously lead pipes and things like that. So this will invest $55 billion to expand access to clean drinking water uh, for households, businesses, schools, child care centers all across the country. So that's the first one. Any issue with that one? No issues with that <laughs> at all. Sounds uh, awesome in theory. <laughs> uh, the second part is high-speed internet. This is $65 billion to ensure that every American has access to reliable high-speed internet. This one is a good one because I know, you know, back in Compton where I'm from and other similar locations, there can be slow internet access and, and areas, schools that don't have good infrastructure to even get the faster speed internet and things like that. So it does hamper uh, locations that, that haven't been invested in um, as far as access to this new world of free education in a sense, uh, being able to tap into different resources. Um, so sort of leveling out the playing field a little bit and giving that infrastructure to communities that haven't been able to, to receive those type of, um, 
benefits basically well plus they need everybody to be able to get on the metaverse too <laughs> right to live to live their their fake life so <laughs> so i mean you can't do that if all those places don't have high-speed internet right <laughs> yes and uh that'll be that'll be another a continued conversation that we'll have Next one is roads and bridges uh, with a particular focus on climate change, uh, mitigation, resilience, equity, and safety. This will reauthorize surface transportation programs for five years and invest $110 billion in additional funding to repair roads, bridges, and support major transformational projects. The idea is to upgrade all of our roads and bridges uh i mean which has been going swimmingly for the last several you know decades as it is no well the i don't know that the the federal government has invested in this way um over the last few years a lot of states have individually taken them up or taken this task up or not um, taken it up or yeah <laughs> yeah or or failed miserably but the interesting thing in orange county where we live, they pay higher taxes. We talked about this in our uh, planning episode, I believe. There's higher taxes in Orange County, which goes into transportation because there's like some loophole where they get to keep more of their money, tax money, by putting it into transportation. So all the roads and everything here are constantly being upgraded. Very, very rarely find areas where it's like torn up. Um, but just uh just outside of orange county the roads just completely go downhill it's like a running joke in compton these massive potholes potholes and just it's just degrading all all over yeah yeah i agree drive through la you see where the bus where the buses stop how the asphalt has been pushed up and just like you know bulging in the corner well that goes back to my theory about la we just need to like scrape it and start over I mean, all of it. Leave Staples, like that's fine. And a couple of others maybe that are brand new, but like we need to scrape it and start over. It's just so yeah. bad. Yeah. So dude, in that freeway system, holy bananas. Like it's so it's so bad. Yeah. So this uh this is definitely needed. Um, I'm not quite sure how it will be divvied out because it's not enough, obviously, for every state and every location, but I assume people are gonna basically apply for the money to, in some sense and they'll put it where it's most needed. Um, like people's pockets, <laughs> politicians' pockets, contractors uh, on the inside <laughs> with kickbacks. <laughs> this one is investment in public transit, uh, which will be interesting because we just have a completely different mindset in the United States as far as public transit goes. Dude, we can't. We can't even. We we shouldn't even take that endeavor at this point. Like there's no way it's going to happen. Like it's it just, there's too much infrastructure already built too much infrastructure. You'd have to recreate and rebuild. Like there's, there's no way to do it properly at this point. There's no way. I mean, the only way I see it happening was if Elon kept doing all his tunneling. You know what I mean, <laughs> I don't I mean, know that that was a great idea, but you know what I'm saying? Like, at least yeah. it was like a new frontier where you're not, you know, running into certain things or when finally all the cars take to the sky. Like, I, you know, I mean, that's the only way think about all the buildings that are there already how how tight all the roads are and everything like that like how how mm-hmm. how do you even do that right now there's no way yeah to 30 40 year process like there's no way so you know I, it's it's wasted money there, there's no <laughs> way to do it so this is uh 
this will include a $39 billion um, investment to modernize transit in addition to continuing the existing transit programs for five years as part of a surface transportation reauthorization. In total, the new investment and reauthorization provides $89.9 billion in guaranteed funding for public transit over the next five years, which is the largest federal investment in public transit in history. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one, uh, particularly on the West, I think, is more so the, the issue as far as public transit goes. We're just too car dependent here. Yeah, and nothing had been put into play. So to your point, like if you go on the East Coast, there's a lot of areas where you can improve upon what's already there. Yeah. But it's already there. And, yeah. and like on the West, like there's some stuff that's here, but it it is, there's no, I don't believe there's any way without massive, massive reinvestment and 69 or 70 billion isn't, isn't that number, right? Yeah. Like, and that would only be just for here, but um, there's, there's way too much infrastructure in place already that you'd have to tear down and, you know, quote unquote, rewire. And you know what I mean? Like it, I just, I, out, at least out on the West, like you're saying, it's just not something that's going to work. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's needed. It was, it was purely an afterthought for, for our side of the country. You know, we started with car culture. Uh, then they put in some transit after the fact, which looks looks like it's after the fact when you when you see the public transit system that we have here. So yeah, it's it's gonna need a major overhaul that I think has to be state uh, specific from from our perspective. I don't think federal can help us on on what we need to get done over here. But yeah, this is. Definitely, I'm sure, will be helpful for, for everyone that has a system in place uh, to just upgrade and, and clean it up a little bit more. Um, this bill will also strengthen the, <laughs> which is kind of funny right now to talk about, but ports and airports and hopefully help supply chain, uh, improve on our supply chain chain issues, um, which we obviously need right now with the clear issues that we have. But this bill will invest $17 billion in port infrastructure and waterways and $25 billion in airports to address repair and maintenance backlogs, reduce congestion and emissions near ports and airports, and drive electrification and other low-carbon technologies. LAX has been constantly <laughs> under construction on our end. It's like a 405. Uh, it, it seems... You travel probably more than I do for work, at least. In all the airports that you go into... Nothing like that. Nothing like LA. Nothing like that. I mean, no. There's no airport that it's like been the biggest pain in the rear to get in and out of, like LAX. It, mm -hmm. just, it just isn't that way. New York, everywhere. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, Chicago, like all that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't want to go into Chicago for different reasons, but... Um, God, I've been, I've been in the last two years, we've been in a lot of major, major airports and it is like, I try to avoid LAX like the plague. I yeah. mean, I'll drive further if I have to like going at random hours, like it's brutal. Um, it just, it's so bad. It's, yeah. it's like nothing, like nothing you've ever seen. You go through LAX and you just realize it's just terrible. Yeah. Well, I think this will help those that do have issues clean up some of the, their issues and uh, and sort of modernize. It does mention to reduce emissions, so that will be cleaning up some of those things. But 
we could use some of that money. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Now this uh, next one is a uh, rail. They will be investing 66 billion additional in rail funding to eliminate Amtrak maintenance backlog, modernize that rail system. Again, this goes back to the culture in the United States. I know it's very different here on the West, but it feels like we're not a rail country, but they are predicting that rail will become more important in the future. I don't see that. I don't know why you would say that. I mean, like, because to me, like, I think, I think the train at one point worked really, really well because you're getting from like, and this is going back. Right. And this is my <laughs> guess from one like populated area through all this land to another yeah. populated area. Yeah. Well, now all those gaps in between have so many fingers and spiders out because of all the development, like how does a train service that? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see that happening. The, what I do know, you know, locally centric, you know, a lot of people will take, if they live in Orange County, will take the train to LA and then Uber to their office or whatever, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should probably say rideshare to their office, you know, one way yeah. or the other. But I just, I don't see how you become more rail centric when you have so many fingers that split off along the way now, you know what yeah. I mean? I just don't see that. Uh, the, so I'd be curious as to see why they think that's the case. The only connection that I can make is maybe flying will become so expensive because of gas and unless they figure out some sort of electric plane, but um, because of fuel costs, plane tickets will become so expensive that the alternative is rail which may be more cost effective. That's the only connection that I could make. And then at that point with planes, I mean, you're flying major city to major city more or less. Mm-hmm. So the train could do the same thing, but then you have the same issue where we're such instant gratification people that it takes you forever in a train with all the stops as opposed to, I mean, how long does it take a, a train ride to go from here to Northern California where we are? It's a it's like hour eight flight. hours, I think. Yeah, it's like an eight-hour <laughs> flight or a one-hour <laughs> flight. You know what yeah, I mean? As opposed to an eight-hour train ride. <laughs> yeah, so you smoke a day as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know how that that pans out. I think you're right about cost to a certain degree, but I would, I would hope there's some types of efficiencies that are that technologically come through that would offset that stuff. I mean, does this not sound crazy saying that rail is going to be a big deal? Like that was like coal burning crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so you listen to this stuff. This, this is why I have such a struggle. First off, we're, we're putting in a, a trillion dollar bill when we're how many trillions of dollars in debt? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the, I will never understand this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, and yeah, and yeah, we need to invest and you need to keep building. Like, don't get me wrong. I get that. But, and then you look at it and part of this whole trillion dollar bill was there's going to be no taxing of whatever that number was down well now there is a tax on it and albeit much less than everything else but it's like it, it, nothing nothing's what they say it is and and so i think that's the struggle but you look at this and you're like oh okay yeah, infrastructure clean new deal not clean new deal but you know move us into the future this and that but let's use more coal burning trains like <laughs> like how does that work you know i don't understand like i don't realize how people don't look at stuff like that and go good lord like this is the best we can do you know like come on I'm not prepared to speak specifically to the climate damage that trains could do as opposed to all of the driving and planes. But instinctually, I would think that trains would be better than planes and cars. You're probably right. But at the same time, uh, there is that hurdle, I think, to get over that we mentioned of convenience uh, 
saving time and trains specifically have to upgrade their experience of being on there. It has to have all these things for you to do on the plane or and or the metaverse will help. God. <laughs> yeah, I you new metaverse will help well, close that loop i i am we won't go into the metaverse thing i yeah. think it's going to be the worst thing for like human beings i really do i just have such a bad feeling about it let's put let's put a pin in the metaverse for today <laughs> put a stake in it <laughs> the next thing is the uh ev electric vehicle so they will be investing uh, $7.5 billion to build out a national network of EV chargers in the U.S. I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. And this is going to be a huge linchpin to kick off electric vehicle purchase because I think a lot of people have been hesitant for that reason of how far can you get on a battery and how you have to figure out where your next charging station is. We were having this whole conversation about because I'm looking at literally two new cars for the family. One being a, uh, a new truck for me because it's a diesel as opposed to the gas and the gas mileage on, or the mileage is so much better mm-hmm. with all the driving I'm doing, I'm considering that. And then, but it, it sparked the conversation about like, what about EVs? Right. And you know, my, my opinion on EVs, while I think they're practical for a lot of people. My point is if I'm driving to LA and back all the time, like how much am I burning? What if I got to go in an emergency to somewhere else? I can't just hop over to a station and fill her up. You know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I looked, I was like, well, maybe hybrid is still really the way to go. You know what I mean? You get the extended mileage, but you're not, you still have the the ability to just fuel up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and not only that, I think the other thing is, you know, like, I don't know if our grid can handle it. I mean, we get so many rolling blackouts and stuff like that, at least here in California, but you, you get them in other places too. And it's like, we already say it's, it's, a, it's struggling, you know, mm-hmm. at best is what a lot of people will say, wherever you look, and then you're just going to hook up all these other cars to it. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't see how that works. And it was funny. One of the arguments was, well, we have solar. I'm like, but you charge it between the hours of midnight and five. Like there's no solar doesn't help you unless you have battery banks and all that kind of stuff. And anybody yeah. that did solar up to two years ago doesn't have battery banks and you can't add them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it, I think my point is to everybody get one electric car, have one that's gas powered, like, you know what I mean? So at least you always have something to go, but I, I, I do know it's necessary in talking with some people. It's like, yeah, they have to plan their routes based off of where they can hit a charger. Yeah. Um, and then there are studies coming out now that are actually starting to um, quantify if you're really saving money, you mm-hmm. know, versus what you're paying for electricity. There's one that, I read one and I'll try and find it and I'll send it to you. And, and in fairness, I don't think it did the greatest job of comparing it. It showed that it was actually more expensive on the elect- electrical side than it is on the gas side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like uh, mid-sized car to mid-sized car. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that made me like, oh, that's kind of an assumption that I don't know if I would use. You yeah. know what I mean? So it might've been a gas powered centric type person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a real, it's a real situation. And I know people that have had like Tesla's when they go to the supercharger and they're all taken up because everybody's there. It's like, so now you got to kill time to wait. Yeah. Wait while you charge, you know, yeah. like, um, so it's, it's clunky at best right now. Right. Yeah. And so I think it it's makes growing, sense to, growing pains. Yeah. And, and that's why it makes perfect sense to invest in it. Yeah. But I still have a lot of questions surrounding. It just seems like we're loading a system that's still pretty, I don't want to say barbaric, but, but the system itself needs to be updated somehow. And I don't have the answer to that. 
Yeah. And I think looking at a single home, for instance, if you have, if you are capturing solar power to a battery backup system, you start to capture some of these savings uh, as opposed to being connected to the grid 24 seven. And that's kind of where we're trying to get to is optimizing our capture of sun power use a battery to charge all of these things to use all this power so you're minimizing your usage of the grid itself is where we need to get to but it's going to take a, a little bit of time for us to get there and these type of investments are definitely needed in order to get us to think in a different way and to remove some of those barriers yeah totally i mean something's got to be done that was the main thing right one way or another so yeah we're taking steps yeah. See, I'm not all against everything we're doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, think I can apply logic as it's needed. Yeah, <laughs> as it's needed. Yeah. Uh, next is to this point, power. Uh, so they'll be investing more than 65 billion in clean energy transmission and grid in the United States, uh, upgrading power infrastructure building thousands of miles of new resilient transmission lines to facilitate the expansion of renewables and clean energy while lowering costs too. So that's to that point of upgrading all of the infrastructure as well to balance out, like you were saying, uh, being able to to take advantage of all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Make our infrastructure resilient against the impacts of climate change. So they'll be investing over 50 billion to protect against droughts, heat, floods, and wildfires, in addition to major investment in weatherization. So Texas would probably be the best example. Well, they have both temperature swings. They they have the they had the freezing weather recently where I don't even know how many people had died through that thing. And then they have extreme heat as well. And the grid can't balance either. <laughs> and that's a whole nother issue there that um, we can talk about in a different episode. But upgrading systems to be able to handle these extremes of cold and or heat. And then wildfires. I don't know. We got to figure out something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the one we didn't really dig into this in our fire episode, but the, the big fire in Paradise, California, that sparked from a cable line that was not upgraded and it was rusted out and it basically broke and a, a power line fell onto something and sparked the fire and so stuff like that giving companies the uh, funds to do these infrastructure upgrades that are needed rather than them passing on them in order to not spend the money yep and then the last one is um pollution so they will be investing 21 billion dollars to clean up Superfund uh, sites, which I just found out what that is, but it's basically these sites that have been deemed as highly polluted and have long-term plans or will require long-term plans to remediate uh, the damage on those sites. But Superfund sites, brownfield sites, uh, reclaiming abandoned mine land and cap orphaned oil and gas wells. And this is has been a big issue uh, that has been under the radar for many years. A lot of these locations end up being around low-income communities, creating bad living conditions, high cancer rates, and different things like that just from the pollution. Um, So cleaning up a lot of this stuff, hopefully it actually happens and doesn't end up in somebody's pocket. (laughs) But Well, I mean, you know, the funny thing is like 
one of the things I keep thinking of as we talk about all, all these funds and stuff, right. Which I think, again, a lot of it is a good thing, but what a lot of people don't understand to do, to do a government contract, you mm-hmm. know, to do all this work, mm-hmm. like there's a lot that goes into it for one, it's not the greatest bidding process. So that's really important to understand. So you're probably overpaying for work there in general. I won't even go into the tinfoil hat stuff about who's tied together, right? Like, and, <laughs> and, and, and look, I know that exists in our market too. So that certainly exists on the other side, period, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But then on top of that, it's not bid out that well. And then it's usually a prevailing wage, mm-hmm. right? So anytime you do these things, it's prevailing wage. And for those that aren't listening, prevailing wage is essentially what the state or the Fed determines is an appropriate wage to be paid for whatever labor situation it is. And it's astronomically higher than any other company that does work pays. Like it's mm-hmm. astronomically higher. So when you look at it, like me, I'm sitting here going, okay, 65 billion. There's a lot of different things I could do with that. Right. And get it. To, it's probably like, in a, in, if I was to make a market comparison, mm-hmm. that 65 billion to me really becomes worth about 20 million or 20 mm-hmm. billion, 20 billion. In actual work that can be done. hundred percent. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a three to one ratio in my opinion, you know, just from what I've seen, cause we've done prevailing wage stuff and whatever. And I look at the rates that you have to pay and you're just like, holy crap. Right. Yeah. And then if you have a normal overhead percentage and stuff that you add things, obviously that percentage dollar amount gross value is a lot larger than it would have been otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a three to one ratio. So every time you talk about a $3 trillion bill, it's really a $1 trillion bill in market value, in my opinion, for the work that's going to get done. Mm-hmm. It's something to keep in mind. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense and explains a lot too, <laughs> both from the front of how little can get done as well as why there are, and and I will agree with you that there are friend connections giving up these contracts. Totally. Um, like so I have ones like that too. Not, you yeah. know what I mean? Like to the point where I know what I need to do to get the work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's not just completely a veiled situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't personally ever get into the kickback idea. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I think it's ethically horrible, Mm -hmm. but that exists. I've seen it. You know what I mean? Like it's there. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a lot of that that goes on. That's how, look, okay. Tinfoil hat on. Um, (laughs) That's how a lot of these politicians that get in there making a couple hundred thousand a year, get their net wealth so large like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's how, and and I'll go back to, I don't have a problem with that entirely. You know what I mean? If it was meant for I the do. better, I, I understand. Like, and that's fair. And, and like I said, entirely. Yeah. Right. Like going back to the four or eight year term, right. But yeah. not lifetime terms that were, where that stuff happens. So, um, but that exists and, and people want to put their head in the sand and think that's a, that exists a hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. I apologize. Yeah. That's, that's not tenfold. The market, but the market value part, I need people to understand. You know what I mean? At best, it's a three to one. It's probably worse. Yeah. So I wanted to quickly run through some of the opposition points uh, just so the people are aware. Um, Destructive tax hikes, federal infrastructure spending that fails to create jobs. I don't agree with that. Problem three, economically harmful central planning. Uh, They're arguing that the plan would lead to more federal involvement in local infrastructure, such as schools and water systems, and more micromanagement of private sector concerns, such as energy, manufacturing, housing, and more. Um, I didn't get that inclination, but okay. And then the last one was wasteful infrastructure priorities are false advertising. 
When the federal officials reference infrastructure investments, the first thing that usually comes to mind is the quality of the nation's highways and bridges, which carry countless amounts of both people and goods from coast to coast and border to border. However, this would only dedicate 4% of spending to highways and bridges, and it would spend most on mass transit, which carries less than one-tenth as major passenger traffic, blah, 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 similar to what we were saying. Yeah. I, that's that's the one that I couldn't really wrap my head around, but I mean, part of that part of that goes back to what I think we said in other episodes, right? Like, if you have a CEO or CFO of a company and they look at stuff and saying, "Hey, we're going to get a million dollar investment. Here's how we need to best deploy it to get the greatest return." That doesn't happen <laughs> with government. You know what I mean? That's not it, like I don't. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't happen. That's unfair. I don't think there's enough focus put on rate of return as opposed to whatever the hell it is they seem to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. So if you use that little quip about what you just said, right, where it's like that focus is only on 4% of what's truly needed as opposed Mm -hmm. to the rest of it goes to what nobody uses. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, come on, you know, like, and that's why, and that's why I think it was last episode or the other one where I was like, look, I don't mind paying my taxes. Mm -hmm. Just get me some value for it. You know what I'm saying? That's the hard part. And so you see stuff like this and you're like, okay, I'm not getting any value for it. Mm-hmm. All the stuff I'm using or that everybody seems to be using a very small percentage of all this that we're paying taxes for is actually going to go to use there, mm-hmm. you know, and you just kind of, it makes you, it makes you very disenchanted with the process. Yeah. On the other side, I think maybe they're playing to where the puck will be as opposed to where it is. You think they're looking into the future? Possibly. That's the only mm, way okay. that I can wrap my mind around it. Is that, possibly. Is that, <laughs> is that they're trying to invest into rail to make it a better experience and more efficient to get people to use it as opposed to flying as much or driving as much? You know, it's interesting if you say it like that. There's no way your generation or my generation, and I know we're not that far apart, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we're yeah. not, we're too car dependent. Mm-hmm. I don't even want people driving me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's no way I'm going backwards. Now, I will tell you, some of the 15-year-olds right now, 16-year-olds, those guys that that I thought should have like been clamoring to get their license that yeah. haven't, I mean, maybe there's a possibility there where those people start getting more involved in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I'm being totally fair, like, you know, instead of them jumping into a ride share, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe they take a train, you know, or that kind of thing, and then take the ride share from there over. I mean, we've seen a lot of ride share take over, at least it's changed the landscape to a certain degree, right? Of, yeah. of um, vehicular transport. So, so I mean, maybe, but I still, mm-hmm. but for the reasons I stated before, the amount of time, because we're mm-hmm. in an instant gratification world, I don't care what mm-hmm. anybody says, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the amount of time and how, how far out now those fingers stretch from, destination to destination, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem feasible mm-hmm. um, for it to make the impact that maybe the desire is to do. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I would, you know, on the, on the side about them looking into the future versus in the present, I actually tend to think they look more at the present because it's the data that they can point to to say why they're doing that mm-hmm. as opposed to politically, how it would look like taking a gamble on something you're not sure of it from a visioning aspect. So I tend to believe they're, they're a little bit more, what's right in front of your face focus yeah. as opposed to, to the, the, the true future of where things are going, because if there was, you'd have a plan. 
You know what I mean? And it'd be clearly defined and here's the steps we're going to take. And here's the years I see it doing and whatever, but most of the guys don't want to put their neck out there like that. Cause then they won't get reelected if they can't hit those steps. Mm-hmm. So that's opinion. Yeah. So that's the infrastructure bill. Do with it what you will. <laughs> but thank you for the conversation, Jason. That was great. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We will talk again on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Infratech Outdoor Comfort Heating for their support of this episode of Spaces Podcasts. Visit infratech-usa.com slash podcast to sign up for a free consultation and learn why Infratech is the choice for bringing indoor comfort to outdoor living. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.